Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, part 3 here, as we cover spiritual warfare. As Dan said, uh, you know, the moment we started doing the construction project out here for the new high school room, it's like the enemy wasn't happy about that, and surf camp's not happy about that, and mammoth camp's not happy about that, and he's not happy about what's going on on Wednesday nights. If you were here on Wednesday night, uh, we had, uh, I think, three or four people, I don't know, give their life to Christ on Wednesday night. Uh, amen. Amen. No Bible study. We're just worshiping Jesus and praying, okay, on those, on those worship nights. And the Lord showed up huge for that. And God's just been doing these amazing things here uh, in this church. And I do believe it's because we stand on the Word. We stand for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I believe it's because that we rely on the Holy Spirit. And not that other churches don't, but I know what we're doing here, and the Lord's showing up big time in these things. So get involved. This is your church. And I want to encourage you, if you're not serving in some capacity, if you're not moving uh, that direction, I want to just encourage you to pray about it. See what God tells you. Uh, so many blessings. People will tell you that, that serve already. Uh, there's, it's a huge, huge, huge blessing uh, to be able to serve the Lord. And so today... Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 13, part 3 here in spiritual warfare, and very specifically uh, the defensive arsenal that you have. Last Sunday we saw the wiles of the devil, amen? He's crafty. He's wily. He wants to take you out, take the church out. Uh, He wants to defeat the kingdom of God. Fortunately, the battle's been won. He won't ever be able to fully do that, but it doesn't stop him from trying. And so this morning, part three, and the defensive weapons, the five of them, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for what you did at surf camp. Lord, thank you for what you're doing right now in the nursery and in Sunday school. Lord, with the youth, with the junior high, with the high school, and in this place. We ask that you'd move amongst us by your spirit, that you take your word now and instruct us with it. Bless us as we study. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Remember that we said we need the whole armor of God. And very specifically, we're beginning here with the defense, and there's a reason for that. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. When we in our world, in the most Christian nation on earth, think about this for a moment. There is no other nation on earth that's more Christian than ours, and ours is pretty pagan at times. Amen? If in this country, in this state, we're literally passing laws that enable sin to to actually be the norm, that, that we're saying, you know, yeah, it's no big deal. We'll just give child molesters and anybody else who wants access to our kids in public restrooms. We'll just do that. It's okay. It's better for everybody. When we're saying that, could I say to you that I think we live in a pretty evil world? When innocent people are being beat up because of the color of their skin, both black, white, brown, yellow, we live in an evil world. Amen? The world is evil. And it's not getting better. That you might be able to stand in that evil day, having done all to Stand. In other words, everything that is your responsibility 
to plant your feet in Christ Jesus and stand against the tide of evil. If you're not going to be pushed back, if you're not going to backslide, if you aren't going the wrong way, you're going to have to put on the defensive armor and take up the offensive armor and do everything you can to stand because the enemy is going to try and push you back. That's what's going on in our world right now. That, that is the fight that we fight every day. You fight it in the workplace, you fight it in your homes, you, you fight it in our colleges, you fight it in our high schools, in our junior highs, and our, our elementary schools. We are fighting a battle to push forward as opposed to being pushed back. And we need some significant defense because the wiles of the devil are very formidable. When people mock the devil's abilities, I feel sorry for them. Because you're asking to take a whooping. Because he may not be able to be everywhere at all times, but he's formidable, and he absolutely can do you mental, emotional, and physical harm. And so he begins by picking up in verse 14, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the truth. Remember what John 8 said? Satan is a liar. All lies and everyone who is lying and those who have a propensity to do so are being used of the enemy. Satan is a liar. The counter to that is the truth. The defense for lies is truth. Amen? John Wooden said it this way. He said, the best offense is a good defense. I was in a basketball camp in the early 1970s. And he made it very clear. He said, if you really want to win a game, everybody's got some offense. But you better have a good defense, because if you can slow down their offense, you'll win. And it's true in spiritual matters as well. You need good defense. Why? Because we fight from victory. Amen? The battle's been won. Jesus did that on the cross. We are already ahead, is the best way to look at it. It's like a hundred billion to six, okay, in favor of Jesus. But we're still playing the game. There are still more innings to be had on the baseball field. That's why Whitey Herzog said that, that great pitching defeats great hitting every time. Why? Because it's defensive. You're throwing that ball in a way that it cannot be hit. And that's the way we have to live our lives, and we do that, family of God, with truth. As a believer, if your life is controlled by the truth, you're going to defeat the enemy. Because Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Me. You see, we walk in the truth. We study the truth. God Himself is absolutely truthful. Jesus is the truth. Liars and lying have no part in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you know what the last warning is in the Bible? Cursed is anyone who takes away from the words of this book. Anyone who lies about God. Anyone who character assassinates Jesus by speaking untruth 
is cursed. That's found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 19. That's how important it is that we walk in the truth. That the very last thing said to the church through the inspired word of God is, make sure you don't take away from the truth. We're people of the truth. We need the defense of the truth. You see, this is described as a girdle, and in that time, the girdle was actually a waistband or a waist belt, and it also held the sword of truth. So it was the thing that held everything else together. The breastplate of righteousness was tucked into the belt of truth. The shield was supported as you held your arm. You could put it on a little stanchion that was on the girdle that allowed you to hold the shield out in front of your body. The truth was the substance about which everything else was defensively positioned. We're people of the truth. If we are men and women of integrity, we have a clear conscience before God and before the world. You all have heard the old adage that if you tell the truth, you can forget it, for it always is the truth. Amen? If you tell a lie, you're forced to remember it because it was never true. Amen? We are people of the truth. Let me tell you how to be really accurate in telling the truth. Repeat what this says. Live what it says. Be what it is. Have the character marked by the truth that is described in your Bible. Because the closer you get to doing that, that this becomes who you are and what you are and how you act, what you say, you will have success in defending against the lie. Because you won't have to remember it. God already said it. We're people of truth. And unfortunately, in our day of political scandal and moral scandal, there is very little integrity in our world. Amen? You look at what's going on in our, our political realm. It's insane how little integrity that people have. We, as God's people, are to have impeccable character. Do you realize that? That means that we should be constantly on guard against the law by being bound by the truth. Abraham Lincoln said this near the end of his life. He said, I so desire to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power and I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall have at least one friend left, that friend inside of me. Truth, integrity, relationship with the Lord. Oswald Chambers said this, he said, Jesus Christ is not teaching ordinary integrity, but supernormal integrity, a likeness to our Father who is in heaven. That's integrity. Family of God, it pains me when I have to deal with the lies that have been told by Christians. Because it must be confronted with the truth, and the truth always wins. When someone comes and they lie about someone or something and they purpose to, to keep that moving forward, then the truth, your Bible says, is not in them. That's what Jesus said. You, you can't be both. You're either truthful or you're not. We are to be bound by the truth. 
very much like a large cavern. If you've ever spent time maybe in Carlsbad or any of the larger ones, uh, Cave of the Winds or you know some of these huge cavern systems that we have here, if you go, they're most of them national parks, especially Carlsbad. When you get inside those caverns, what happens if you don't have any light? You can't see a thing, amen? But if you have a light and you're wandering through the cavern, and you shine that light, wherever you find the light pointed, you also find the glories of what's being revealed to you. Amen? It's the same way in your spiritual life. You must shine the light, the truth of God, if you want the great things of God revealed in your life. Be girded with the truth. Second thing, the second half here of this verse having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this piece of armor uh, at that time, and frankly, it was God's body armor. This is how it's being described here. But for the Roman soldier, it didn't just cover his chest. It covered his back as well. It was the breastplate, because you can get stabbed in the back and still make it to the front. Amen? Why do you suppose that's righteousness? Because you possess two different types of righteousness. One is your positional righteousness, which cannot change in Christ Jesus. To him who believes, he has received, and he is therefore the child of God. Positionally, you are righteous in Christ. But there's another type of righteousness, and it is on you. That is your daily righteousness of your walk. That's that righteousness that says, you know what? Because I am a child of God, I want to walk in righteousness. So you have the righteousness of Christ. Your defense is that righteousness. When Satan comes against me, I am covered in the righteousness of Christ, both front and back. It symbolizes who I am in Christ, and it symbolizes the life that I now live because of Him. You see, I didn't used to live that way. So you know what? I had a lot of exposure to the enemy. Why? Because I was helping the enemy. Wherever you sin, you're helping the enemy expose a weakness in you. When you don't live as you should live, you are giving the enemy an opportunity to attack you. Anybody had that experience? Maybe you tell a lie and all of a sudden you wonder why your mind's getting attacked. You ever live in that unrighteous situation and you wonder why you don't really think you're saved? It's because you're not walking in a righteous life. You've opened the door for Satan to come grab you by the head and boot kick you through the goalpost of life. It's like, well, I'll just walk however I want. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't understand why I don't feel like I'm saved. It's because I'm helping the enemy by walking in unrighteousness. The breastplate that covers us. Remember what Satan is. He's an accuser, amen? So if you have righteousness of Christ here, and righteousness of Christ here, and you are covered because you are in Him, and you are covered because you are abiding in Him, how much opportunity do you think Satan has to get to your heart? Not much. Because you know what he finds? The righteousness of Christ, both in who Jesus is and how you live your life. He can't accuse you. You see, you're, you're sitting there going, look, I'm one of God's kids. Buzz off. Take a hike. Get out of here. I know who I am in Christ. 
I am the redeemed of the Lamb. Jesus said, if I will believe, I will receive. Amen? And because I've received that by grace, it's not by me, it's not by works, I can't boast about it. It's all of God. How powerful do you think that is? You see, I have that righteousness covering my heart. My heart is literally defended by the truth of who I am in Christ. I love that. Who I am in Christ. Who I am in me, not so good. Who I am because I might be able to be circumstantially good at times, not so everlasting. But in Christ, I am righteous. Your Bible declares that. Your sins have been washed. They're covered by the blood. God doesn't even remember them anymore. He puts them from the east from the west. He buries them in the depths of the sea. So as far as God's concerned, He looks at you and He sees the righteousness of Jesus. The enemy of your soul doesn't like that. And so what does He try and do? You're not righteous. Matter of fact, you're really unrighteous. The only time that that ever gets to you is if you have done something that is actually unrighteous. That's that life-living righteousness that we need to do, the practical righteousness. It is there that the enemy gets an opportunity to speak those lies into your life. Don't let him do it. Defend the righteousness that you have in Christ. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it says, And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Amen? That's who you are. Don't let the enemy tell you different. Oh, no, no. That's not me. I am in Christ. And because of it, I wear a cloak of righteousness. Amen? We, we need to know these things. When Paul would write the second letter to the church at Corinth, by the time you get down to the sixth verse, he's talking about his life and how he's lived it. And he says there in the sixth verse of 2 Corinthians 6, Speaking about the things that he went through in ministry, he says, By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. He says, I withstood those things because of who I am in Jesus. Not because I just had a high pain tolerance. Not because, well, I've been through those things before, so it's just easier. He says, the reason I resisted the things that the enemy had for me is that I stood in Christ. His power, His might, His strength. When Satan accuses you, you tell him who you are in Jesus. Amen? The third piece of the defensive armor. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now think on this for a moment. A Roman soldier during that day and time, if we were to get a photo, you know, if they had Instagram at that time, 
if there were, you know, some pictures of the Roman army, which there are not, but what we have managed to come up with is real Roman sandals. They drove into those Roman sandals what are called hobnails. As a matter of fact, here in this country, up until about the mid-1800s, people still wore hobnail boots. They would take basically a nail, nail them into the bottom of their shoe. Good idea to bend over the nail once it came into the shoe foot compartment. Otherwise, they're stuck to the bottom of your feet rather uncomfortably. But those nails would be on the bottom of the shoe and protruding a little bit, much like we have Vibram-lugged hiking shoes now and boots. Amen? They were there for grip. And so what is being said here is you need the peace of God in order to be able to stand when the enemy starts pushing. You see, again, I have two kinds of peace. I have the one that's guaranteed me by my relationship with Christ, and I have the positional peace that says, you know what, the last time he came, I just planted my feet in Jesus and said, I ain't going nowhere. Not moving, thank you very much. And when the enemy did this on your chest, when the enemy said, oh yeah, you're moving, he said, no, I'm not, I'm putting down another foot of the peace of Christ. I'm staying right here. That preparation of the gospel. Why? Because greater is he who's in me than he who's in this world. Amen? If I am going to both stand and withstand, those are two different things. Standing means positionally and practically, I am taking the position I'm not going to move. But withstanding says even when the attack comes, I'm not going backwards. One is a mindset, the other is an action. Amen? Do you get the difference? One says, I'm not moving. The other says, go ahead, hit me again. Because I'm not moving, I'm also going to stand here and fight you. How many Christians give up because they don't rest in the peace of God? The peace of God says, you know what, you may not have everything everybody else has. The peace of God says, maybe you're not going to be rich and famous. The peace of God is something that covers your heart and your mind. It isn't necessarily that you're going to be circumstantially blessed in this life. It's a different kind of peace. That's why Jesus said, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you peace do I give you. I give you my peace. And his peace is a different kind of peace. Matter of fact, it's a peace that says, in spite of the conflict, I know where I'm going. Because the gospel provided it. The good news is this, while I was still yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the good news, isn't it? Did you earn that? No. Are you going to receive the blessing of being that? Absolutely. That's the gospel. To as many as received, to them he gave the ability to become the sons of God, the daughters of God, the children of God. That's peace. I'm not encouraging you to take a stab at the enemy and say, well, I'll just get him. But what I am saying is when he comes like a flood, you plant the feet of peace and say, "Mm -mm, I'm going nowhere. I'm standing in Jesus and for Jesus. It's the gospel of peace. You see, the God of this age wants to steal your peace. Isn't that what he goes after? Goes after your peace, doesn't he? What he does with me. I'm walking along. I was yesterday, I'm like, we're, we're down at 
Oh, we went to Bass Pro Shop, so I was feeling pretty good. Got me some new braided line for my fishing reel. And all of a sudden, these darts come into my mind. There's no God. There's no God. Why are you doing all this? You could be fishing more. What he said? All of a sudden, for about two seconds, then I'm like, oh no, I know where this plant those feet of peace. I'm going to heaven one day. I'll fish a little bit now, I'll fish a lot then. In Jesus' name. I don't know how the fishing is in heaven, but I heard it's good. The disciples were fishermen, most of them. I'm thinking it was pretty good. Why Romans 5 says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If I have peace with God, is there any other kind of peace I actually need? No. I'd like to have world peace. I'd like to have peace right here in our town. I would love to have no more fighting, no more violence, no more crime. I'd love all that. It's a worthy goal. But you know what? The only peace I can count on is the one that gets me to heaven. Feet shod with the gospel of peace. You, you see, the shoes that, of the gospel of peace are also that with which we push forward too. Don't forget that. Because if you don't have the peace of God, you're not taking any ground for God. So yes, they're defensive in that they allow you to stand and withstand. But what also happens is that's what we take out into the world. Amen? How many people are going to come to you if every time something happens in your life, you get knocked flat on your back or ten weeks back into your history? That's why when people see Christians stumble and fail and fall and they don't stand and haven't done all to stand, it does so much damage to the body of Christ. If that's all the strength that you have in Christ, all that happened was you had a friend come over with beers and now you're a drunk again. We need to stand. You say, you know what, Lord? I'm standing in you. I'm giving that stuff up. The Lordship of Jesus Christ is more important to me. And so that peace then is shown to other people. I don't need your beer. I don't need the stuff the world has to offer. And it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life. Above all people, we enjoy life more than everybody else. Because we have the right perspective on the things that we do have given to us but we don't have the wrong perspective on the things that we don't have. So we are showing people what it's like to have true peace. Paul said it this way, whether abased or whether I abound, I have learned to be content in all things. Just showing people, you know what, i got peace. Thank you, Jesus, that I have peace. The fourth defensive weapon, and I want you to notice this, it's the shield of faith. And it says, above all, would you underline that or circle that, above all? And there's a reason I believe that is there. Taking the shield of faith, with which you're able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, above all else. And here's why I believe it says this. It's the only defensive piece that can be moved. And it works this way. Your salvation plus your faith. Your righteousness plus your faith. Your peace plus your faith. The truth plus faith. Faith enhances each of the other pieces. If the enemy is attacking my heart, I have my righteousness and my faith. 
If the enemy is coming after my back because my life is unguarded, I can turn my shield around and put it on that side, and I now have my positional righteousness and my practical righteousness plus my faith. If he's coming after my head and my helmet, I can put that puppy over my head, and it's like I have faith that that helmet works. You get the picture? Above all. That truth is guarded. I hold that truth in my heart, but I don't share that truth as as pearls before swine either. Sometimes I have to protect the truth of God. I don't get into meaningless arguments with people who don't know the Lord. Because they love to argue. I'm not going to hand the truth to somebody who doesn't want it. I'm not going to try and force it down their throat. Here's the truth. Watch my life. You see if I don't live the way I tell you I live. And so I take the shield of faith. In that day and time when these words were written, the shield was a rather large shield, probably four foot tall, about two foot wide, and they were curved so that at the edges they could be linked together shield to shield. And there's an important aspect to this. You see, your faith builds on my faith, and my faith builds on yours. And when the enemy comes against you, what happens if you take your shield of faith and you put it next to my shield of faith? we got a bigger place of faith. Now imagine the whole body of Christ does that and marches forward in one line. Hey, we're here, but we're moving forward in faith. We're not going to be pushed back. Furthermore, at that day and time, if the enemy had a propensity to use fiery darts, fiery arrows, if he was going to cheat and try and light stuff on fire where you were at, and that's a pretty wonderful tactic, especially if you're in an area where there's dry brush, amen? The enemy just launches that nasty attack and lets those flaming arrows go. He doesn't even, he's not even aiming at anything. He's just aiming at the body of Christ. He said, I'm going to shoot at the church. And they're all linked shield to shield. They would take those big leather shields, they would dip them in water, so if they stuck in the shield, it would actually extinguish the fiery darts, the arrows of the wicked one. Interesting picture, because in your Bible, water represents what? Holy Spirit, amen? So my faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, linked together with your faith, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we push forward in peace of Christ, with the righteousness of Christ, we are moving forward in mass with the power of the Holy Spirit, able to defend ourselves much better than you or I standing alone. Amen? That's why we never send troops into harm's way one at a time. We send them in platoons. We send them in fire squads. We send them out as groups. We were meant to fight this fight together. The faith that's mentioned here is not saving faith, by the way. It's trust in the promises of God. You've got to trust in the promises of God. And here's how it works. You, you see, as you realize in that loyalty that we have to Christ... Because I am loyal to the Lord. My faith is in Him, is it not? You know what one of the dumbest things in the world is? When people say to me, I have faith, and yet what they really are saying is I have faith in faith. I have faith in the air. I have faith in all kinds of things. But I need to have faith in something that's worthy of my faith. Amen? Jesus is worthy of my faith. I have faith in Christ who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
the one who defeated Satan on Calvary's cross. Are you getting the picture? I have faith in Him. I don't just have faith that, well, I'm praying, and so, you know, something good will happen. That's faith in faith. A lot of people have faith in faith. They just want, well, I have faith. I want to have faith in someone who is able and through whom I am more than a conqueror. That's not faith in just whatever, man. I know it all works out. That's faith in faith. I believe in faith. You realize almost the entire world believes in faith. And yet he's saying the right kind of faith, that promise that Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, says the Lord. Do you have that kind of faith? That's the type of faith that's being talked about that you can wield as a defensive weapon. You you see, that kind of faith doesn't get moved. It protects you from the enemy's attacks because the enemy is going to come after your faith. You mean you believe in Jesus? Anybody ever had that spoken into your mind? I have. You mean you believe in Jesus? You actually believe He was real? You believe, you believe there's actually a God? If we're honest, there's probably not a single person in this room who hasn't had those thoughts shot right into your mind. The answer to that is who Christ is. Yes, I have faith, but my faith is very reasonable, and it makes way more sense than the other option, which is we all got here by nothing turning into something and exploding. That's the Big Bang, that nothing condensed became something, then blew up and created all of the order that we see throughout the universe. That's the other option. I have faith that there is a Creator God who from the beginning of time loved me as His creation. And He created me for a purpose. So my faith is not blind faith. It's actually very reasonable faith. And I say to those who believe in blind faith, don't believe in blind faith. Search out and see for yourself if it doesn't make more sense to believe in a Creator than it does that nothing became something and blew up and it got better. Find that somewhere in the laws of physics. Not going to happen. And finally, as we wrap this up, the helmet of salvation, verse 17, first part. It says, take up the helmet of salvation. Satan wants to attack your mind. Well, being a Christian is unreasonable. Being a Christian makes no sense. You have to give up. You have to put your brain on a shelf to be a Christian. Family of God. My faith is so reasonable that you want to talk about whatever discipline of science that you want to talk about, let's talk about it. Because I can tell you that in that search, you will come to the conclusion that believing in God as a creator makes way more sense than believing in nothing coming to being something after an explosion. My faith makes all kinds of sense. Matter of fact, it is much better as a scientific explanation for the world, for the universe that we see. The Big Bang, if it existed, it was God saying bang and it was. In the beginning was God. And He spoke the world into existence. 
And all the things that we see lead us to believe that outside of space and time dwells a creative force, a creative energy, and a creative mind that imparts to the things created enough of that what we would call information so that when you look at it, it is an impossibility for it to have organized itself. If you believe in chemical evolution, you have way more faith than I do. Because if you believe that inorganic chemicals organize themselves, apply knowledge to themselves, and then create larger systems without the input of both information and energy, then you actually believe against science. See, Satan will attack your mind. Well, I mean, they prove, you know, I mean, what about Neanderthal? What about these fossil records? What about dinosaurs? What about, what about, what about? It all attacks your mind. You see, my biblical worldview helps me understand my science correctly. It helps me understand my politics correctly. It helps me understand my social studies correctly. It helps me understand everything correctly. So who I am in Christ then becomes the basis for what I believe. We call it a Christian worldview. And then everything is seen through who you are in Christ. Helmet of salvation. Protects your mind. All of a sudden you're walking around, yeah, you know what? Hey, I want to talk to you about that uh, evolutionary theory that you believe in. Can you explain to me how that happened? I, I, I get it. You say that there was life forms here and all those things, but how did the first, how did that get here? Where did those blue-green algae come from? They didn't create themselves. They didn't come from chemicals. We've been trying to do that since 1950s. Doesn't work. When God controls the mind, Satan cannot lead you astray. It's that simple. So these defensive weapons, as we have His power in us, as we put on this defensive armor, check this out. And I want you to really just focus in on these things. When you, when you take the power of God and His Word and you apply it to your life, it becomes His love and it becomes His forgiveness. It becomes His cleansing, His power, His freedom from the bondage of sin, His abiding nature, His transforming and renewing of our minds. You see, it's all Him. Amen? See, my defense is really made out of my Jesus. My head's protected because He protects it. My heart's protected because He protects it. My peace is protected. He protects it. My truth is protected. He is it. You get the picture? So the defense is really Jesus Himself. That's what's being described here. We then rest and trust in Him. And so, together, stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take up the helmet of salvation. It's called putting on Jesus. Amen? And therefore, Paul said, writing to the church at Colossae, put on Christ. When I do that, 
and everything that means, I'm good to go for the battle. We can fight and we will win. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this defensive armor. Lord, we thank you for what it means to us to be able to stand in these evil days. And and Lord, as we ponder your truths and think on these things, God, help us to rest and trust in who you are and what you've accomplished through the cross. God, we thank you that as we walk on this earth that we are not alone, we are not powerless, we are not defenseless, that the same power that flung the stars into space, the same power that brought forth the diversity of life on this planet, the same power that spoke eternal life into dead lives dwells in us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can stand Thank You, Lord, for who we are in Christ. Lord Jesus, put Your salvation upon our heads. Put Your truth upon our hearts. Our waist, gird us with it. God, stand in peace. May we do today. Lord, as we leave this place, and Father, as we worship You in in giving, and Lord, as we spend our time today thinking about You, God, would You bless us as Your people? Would You anoint us, Lord? Would you cause us to stand because we've done everything we can to do so. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.